the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The seal of our salvation is not an external right, but rather when we trust Christ to save us, the Spirit of God performs a spiritual surgery that enables us to have victory over the desires of our old nature. We are looking at this new nature that God brings to us. We find an illustration of it in the life of Abraham here in Genesis chapter 17. Welcome to today's broadcast of Study Verse by Verse with our teacher and pastor Leighton Sheely. We are in chapter 17 of Genesis. We've got a name change and a cutting of covenant, circumcision. So what does this circumcision mean for you and I today? That is what we will explore today and tomorrow. Join us. We begin with a look at this name change, Abram to Abraham. Here's Pastor Layton and today's program. Abram meant exalted father or father of many. Abraham meant father of a multitude. And the net effect was that every time people addressed him by name, he would be reminded of God's promise. He would be the father of multitude. Now, how many times is your name used in the course of a day? 30, 50, 100, you know? Um, good morning, Father of Multitude. Uh, is it time for lunch, Father of Multitude? Uh, Father of Multitude, we have this situation. How would you like us to handle it? Good night, Father of Multitude. So every time he was addressed, he was reminded of God's promise. Now, when Abraham informed the people of his camp, he had a new, new name. Some of them must have kind of had a smile and said, Father of Multitude? The guy must be delusional. I mean, he thinks he's going to become a father of multitude. He only has one. But indeed, Abraham became the father of many peoples, not only the Jewish people, but also the Arab people through Ishmael. And in addition to that, all who trust in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord are spiritual children of Abraham. That would be all by itself a vast multitude. God indeed fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Now, in addition to this astonishing name was another revelation, and that is that kings shall come from you. That kings shall come from you. And sure enough, they did. In fact, one of the great kings came through the line of Judah. And that I'm speaking of is King David, about a thousand years after this. And and then another thousand years after that came the ultimate king of kings, Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. And that's what Matthew celebrates in his opening verse of the gospel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this Abrahamic covenant is the foundation upon which later covenants with God's people are based. And this is an everlasting covenant, meaning that it's going to last through all time. And so here in Genesis is the first revelation of the ultimate King of kings and Lord of lords, whose reign would never cease. Notice verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting 
covenant. You might want to circle that word or underline that word. An everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting, there's that word again, an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. And so the ownership of the promised land depends upon God's covenant with Abram. God has given them the land, but their possession and enjoyment of it is dependent upon their faithfulness to obey the Lord. So quick history here. Joshua led them into the promised land where they conquered the inhabitants and they claimed their inheritance, but they did not stay true to the covenant. So God disciplined them in the land. He allowed others to come in and invade the land and take over it. So they were still in the land, but they could not enjoy it or control it. Then during the reigns of David and Solomon, the people enjoyed their inheritance because they served the Lord faithfully. But after Solomon, the kingdom was divided. And except for brief interludes, it decayed spiritually and ended up in bondage. Assyria invaded Israel, Babylon invaded and conquered Judah. And it was then that the people were taken out of their promised land into another land. It was like, in effect, God was saying, so you like idols? Well, let me take you to a place where you can have plenty of them. And in fact, you're going to be so filled up with idols that 70 years from now, when I bring you home to your land, you're going to appreciate what, what, what I've given you. And so God did permit in 70 years later a remnant to return to the land, rebuild the city and the temple, restore the nation. But it, it never returned to being the great power that it once was. Whether Israel was faithful or faithless, the land belonged to her. And someday she's going to get to inherit and enjoy it to the glory of God. And so the title deed to this land is part of God's everlasting covenant with Abraham. Abraham's part of the covenant was to obey God and mark each male in the household with a sign of the covenant. Verse 10, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you must or shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, this rite of circumcision was not a new rite. Other nations in the time of Abraham uh, practice it. But here God gives it a new and a, a special meaning. And for the descendants and the household of Abraham, it was not an option. Uh, it was not limited to the immediate family. This, the servants were also to be circumcised because in this covenant, there's no elitist form. It's not just limited to the, the descendants, but everyone in the household gets blessed with the covenant. And since all people are conceived in sin, the special mark would remind them that they are accepted by God because of his gracious covenant. Now, unfortunately, the Jewish people eventually considered this ritual as a means of salvation itself. And so circumcision was considered the guarantee that you were accepted by God. And, and you know, some people today place the same false confidence in baptism and communion and church membership and other such things. They did not realize that circumcision stood for something much deeper, and that is a person's 
personal relationship with God. You see, God wants to circumcise our hearts so that we're totally devoted to him in love and obedience. Moses wrote, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And so both the Old Testament and the New Testament alike remind us that circumcision of the flesh was to be an outward sign of the true circumcision which take place in the heart. The true circumcision is a spiritual thing. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the physical operation has not, had nothing to do with Abraham's eternal salvation. Abraham believed God and received God's righteousness and therefore his salvation before he was circumcised. Circumcision was not a means of salvation, but rather the mark of a man in covenant relationship with God. So what does this all mean for a believer today? Well, the seal of our salvation is not an external right. But rather, when we trust Christ to save us, the Spirit of God performs a spiritual surgery that enables us to have victory over the desires of our old nature and our old life. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And so in Christ, we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And the word of instruction says anyone who doesn't get circumcised is to be cut off. And the significance of this is that there is only one way to God. The way that God has for us. You know, many people uh, approach God as if they're interviewing him for some kind of a job. Well, you see, if the man in the sky fits the job description, he's non-judgmental and accepting, and he always allows me to decide what's right and wrong, then I'll allow him to be in the role of God. That's the way a lot of people today think. But it doesn't work that way. Because God is God, and we are not. And if we're going to go to God, it can only go, we can only get there through the way that he has provided Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name is to be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Abraham laughed. Now, in the next chapter, verse 12, Sarah is also going to laugh, and that's going to result in divine disapproval when the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? But the absence of such a rebuke here indicates that Abram's laughter seemed to have been a joyful response to God's promise, but Sarah's laughter in the next chapter seems to have risen from a heart of unbelief. You know, this word laughter is, occurs a lot of times in uh, relationship to the birth of Isaac. It describes the reactions of both Abraham and Sarah, and then it happens again when the birth of the child is, uh, it, it happens in, in, in later in the chapter. By the way, uh, the name Isaac means laughter. 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote concerning Abraham, Romans chapter 4, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. 
He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Now, there's a th- third new name given to us in this chapter, and that means Sarah, which means princess. And since she was going to be the mother of kings, it was only right for her to be called a princess. You know, it's important for us not to minimize Sarah's place in God's plan of salvation, because like her husband and all of us, she had her faults, but like her husband, she also believed that God would accomplish his purposes. And so she's not only the mother of the Jewish nation, but she's also a good example for Christian wives to follow according to 1 Peter chapter 3. And so the Christian husband should treat his wife like a princess because that's what she is in the Lord. Some good words to consider as we close out today's study verse by verse with Pastor Layton Sheely. We've been listening to Pastor Layton here in Genesis chapter 17 today. Another look at this passage tomorrow, so we trust you'll join us then. In the meantime, if you have questions, comments, or prayer requests, reach out to us on our website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Tomorrow, back in Genesis 17, join us then for study verse by verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.